Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of the podcast is with Esoteric Eddie. We get into a deep conversation about the Anunnaki and other metaf- uh, metaphysical topics, and we 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 uh, we just kind of uh, we just drop some heat, man. So uh, check it out. There's a lot of stuff for you guys to research. We, this was the third attempt at um, knocking out a podcast. Um, and as they say, the third time's a charm. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Esoteric Gladiator. I am your host, Jeremy Lipsy, And today, round three, third time is a charm. I've got Esoteric Gladiator. Esoteric Eddie on the Esoteric Gladiator podcast. Esoteric Eddie, how you doing? What up, what up? Doing all right. Sunny day in Los Angeles. Yeah, so you, last time we got together, which was a couple weeks ago, I just happened to be in San Diego where you lived, and we made it happen a few days after you did the Tinfoil Hat podcast, which is where I heard you and was fascinated by a lot of things you were saying. And uh, now... You just happened to be in L.A. with one of our friends, Annie Hardy, who just did my podcast, and he just did her podcast, who I, I just did her podcast a week and a half ago, and she said, come over, maybe Eddie will do your podcast again for the third time. Yeah. And we we had to delete the last few because of, like, sound issues, but looks like uh, we got it up and running now, and um, Eddie... Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, man. Um, so I'm 27 years old. I've been researching the esoteric, occult, and conspiratorial for over 10 years. I um, got into it around when I was like 12 to 14 years old, smoking the good old reefer, doing mushrooms, listening to hip-hop music, and just opening my mind, reading a lot of books, watching a lot of videos. And my whole life kind of revolved around the esoteric, was intrigued by biblical stories as a kid. And my grandpa, who was a pastor for some time and then became an alcoholic and then kind of like left the church, um, was always like watching the sky, smoking cigarettes. And one day when I was like eight years old, I asked him why he was always watching the skies and tells me that he was doing so because he had seen a UFO once. And um, that really tripped me out and kind of set me off on his journey early on of uncovering the deeper mysteries of life. Nice, nice. And... Uh since then, you've uh, written a book, right? What's yeah. the name of your book? The Lucifer Mystery Revealed. You want to give us an overview on that really quick? Yep. Uh, just dropped that in 2021. It's a an academic perspective on the historicity of Lucifer within the church and occult. So I kind of just take you through a, a journey on how the concept of Lucifer progressed from inception basically up into modern times. The historicity, it sounds like a word, like a, uh, a, 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 a black uh, brother would use. The historicity of the project. Would, oh. oh, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, That's the hip-hop in me, man. And, and how long did it take to write that book? Two years. Two years? Was it, uh, was it a painful process, or was it a pleasurable one, or both? Uh, it, was, it was kind of meditative. You know, um, I was actually playing in a rock band, garage band at that time, and was going through some crazy personal things. And um, it was right around when COVID was starting to take hit. And I just would come home and was like, dude, I'm going to just write a book. You know, I mean, there's a lot of other things that went along with, with that thought process. But the actual book was just I'd come home from work or band practice or whatever, and I would just sit there and just, just chip away at it. And it, it was my meditation. Ah, oh, and what, what were you doing for work? I'm I'm a plumber. Oh, my boy's laying pipe. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a plumber, man. Nice. Uh, So the book took two years. It was during the lockdown. Yeah. Was it was it was it a pain in the ass to get published? No, dude. uh, Amazon's got a pretty easy interface these days. You can publish through them. It's very easy to be an author these days, um, but it's not very easy to make quality work. I've found, you know, anybody can be an artist or an author these days, but it takes a lot to write something that's unique and of quality. Well, that's definitely a very unique uh, uh, perspective and book. Like uh, a lot of people 
you know, particularly in religions, they, they're like, oh, Lucifer's real. But like, I think we talked about this last time, like if you've spoken it into existence and, and, and you've been able to get other people to recognize and speak into existence and think and meditate on, it essentially becomes real. Yeah, yeah. So in the book, I pretty much show you that, you know, Lucifer never existed within the Bible. Uh, however, the, the concept of it came from a misunderstanding or mistranslation. And then that misunderstanding and translation um, was being looked at by the early church, like people like Oregon Adamantius, who was one of the first uh, church philosophers to write about Lucifer. And then it took hold in the occult. And now it's just an archetype. And so at this point, it really doesn't matter if Lucifer ever really existed in the Bible or not. It's become a subconscious archetype that holds power over people. It's pretty crazy because I, I've been telling a lot of people like, you know, like, we know, we continue to fall for the same tricks over and over again from the church, from the state, from the bankers, money lenders, whatever, the same people that were the enemies of Yeshua. And um, that when I like look at a lot of the politicians and a lot of these people, they are just basically archetypes that have been written about in, in books and history and yeah. and uh, things like that. So that's pretty fascinating that things over the years through all these stories that are thousands of years old people are still doing the same shit you know there's nothing new under the sun yeah yeah me and my my friend we used to meet up and pray um i kind of mentioned some stories about him on annie's podcast so i'm kind of thinking of him right now what's well, still fresh in my mind yeah. but but one thing that i would tell him is like dude like you realize like we're praying to the same god that like abraham was praying to like we view our lives as ever-changing because we go through so much in this short 100 years if we're blessed you know, but like in God's eyes, like the bigger picture, like humanity's only been around for like 6,000 years, according to the mainstream, uh -huh. right? So like 6,000 years of mainstream history is absolutely nothing. So these we're still, uh, we're still in biblical times right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and like, like we, and I'm not going to get heavily into it now, but like we, t we talked about last time, like the apocalypse may have already happened. This may be the short season when satan comes back to deceive the world because i just don't see any of what's happening in the mainstream is like authentic or organic like i don't see you know that us having food shortages that you know like it could, i think all of this shit could totally be preventable like people dying from covid or like any of the bullshit that the mainstream is putting out there i just see it all as like it's it could be remedied so easily but there's people at the top that They've been capitalizing off human suffering for centuries, and they're going to just continue to do so because people keep falling for the same damn tricks. Yeah, man, I agree. It's like everything could be so awesome and beautiful, but it's just not, and it's by design. Yeah. So you're into, uh, you've done a lot of studying on the Anunnaki, correct? Yeah, that was one of the first um, topics that I got into back in the day when I was researching this esoteric knowledge. What's really crazy is that, you know, I want to say like around like 2002 because 9-11 uh, was like a total was my red pill moment. Like just seeing George Bush reading to children, a president reading to children, looking like a hero in a, in a school while, you know, planes got hijacked, which n had never happened in our country before. I just really saw it as very theatrical and like using psychological warfare it was a very odd thing for me i just didn't trust it from the gate i was like what are the chances did four planes get hijacked we've never even had one get hijacked and then the president's reading to kids looking like this noble savior of america it just seemed yeah. very theatrical to me and then shortly after that i had people getting me into david ike and and uh, uh, uh bill cooper and um you know uh jordan maxwell and and uh you know, a lot of people like that, Alex Jones and, yeah. you know, all, all those old guys. Yep. And uh, I remember my friend's mom, she would talk about the Anunnaki. And, and, and I remember seeing, like, pictures of the Babylonians and things like that. And yeah, and uh, I didn't really start getting deeper into the Anunnaki till I lived in Maui about eight years ago. And I read Zachariah Sitchin's book, uh, The 12th Planet, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a part of a series. I, I always forget it's like seven or nine books or something. 
But um, yeah, before we get into that, did you ever see the video of George Bush when he was reading to those kids and like the, oh, yeah. the words that they yes. were repeating? Yes, they were they were doing an incantation. Yeah, they were the kid that the teacher's like, all right, repeat after me. And I was like, hit, Go, plane, plane, steal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's just beyond mind boggling. Yes. Yeah. But again, when when you know like how the, the, the dark arts works. So these guys yeah. are doing like a full blown national ceremony on you know, televised for Americans to feed their energy to. At the same time, they're doing revelation of the method. So they're telling you what they're doing, and it's up to you to either understand the manipulation or yeah, to fall for it and just give your energy to it. Oh, yeah, man. But, uh, yeah, so the Anunnaki, yeah, so, damn, so in 2003 when 9-11 happened, I was in third grade-ish around there. So when I found Zechariah Sitchin, I was, uh, I think I was in middle school the first time I came across his you work. You got started young, player. <laughs> yeah, and it all happened like, you know, by destiny, I think. Everything kind of happened like clockwork. And the way that I got into it was kind of an interesting story. My, my second oldest brother was, he's always been in and out of prison and rehab and stuff. And uh, he's three years older than me. And there was one time when he was, the longest time he was in rehab, he was in a place somewhere in Orange County. We're from San Diego. Uh-huh. It was like a two-hour drive, and we'd we'd have like family visits or whatever. So we go see him, and then one of the things we do when we have family time is my mom would take us to like Barnes and Noble or something, and like all right, let's pick a book or whatever, you know, because he liked reading while he was at rehab. Oh so, yeah, and I was always a reader too, so I was like kind of you know cruising around like the the UFO section and stuff like that because uh-huh. I was always into that. And then I come across this book, The Twelfth Planet, and when time began. And the covers got me, you know, right away, like the pyramids and the statues. And and then the fact that it was a nonfiction book was like, what? Like nonfiction? Like, what is this then, you know? And so I started reading it and just completely blew my mind, especially coming from a Christian background. Because Zechariah Sitchin writes about the Bible. And he's he doesn't write to, to um, you know, invalidate it. He actually writes to validate its veracity yes. to a T, to a detail, and show that there are deeper histories going on within the Bible and ex- extra biblical tales. You know, a lot of a lot of the people that like do, do, do these studies, these, these occult studies in the Bible. Uh, some of them are like, oh, it's a metaphor, but I think it's a metaphor. I think it's astrological. I think it's numerological. I think it's uh, historical. I think it's it's arcane. I think the Bible is is a multitude of different things. I don't think it's just one thing. And um, you know, when you look at like, and I'm sure you know about all this stuff. You know, the the translations. Uh, you know, was it from from Hebrew to Greek, from Greek to Latin, from Latin to English, and then you had like the papacy rewriting things, taking things out, putting things in, and monarchs changing it up and stuff. And during the process of all that, I believe that a lot of the more arcane things involving divination, for better or worse, uh, which I believe that the Bible was for about for better, uh, I believe were removed. And um, I was watching this video last night in the Gospels of Thomas, which I think were removed, and um, the teachings of Christ. I think they were in the... Um, not the Book of Enoch, but was it the Dead Sea Scrolls or something like that? Yeah. But but a lot of like what Christ was saying and these things that were removed did a lot of like biblical. I don't want to say scholar. I want to say like teachers are telling people, oh well, that didn't even matter, or this, you know, well we just, you know, it just didn't. It's like no, that stuff all matters. Like yeah, you know, like yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the the canonical books that we have today in the New Testament are not historically like valid. So they're not any more historically valid than the the Gospel of Thomas per se, right? So the Gospel of Thomas can just be as canonical as the book of Mark, and they were at some point. And uh, as they were highly regarded by these Dead Sea Scroll communities, the Essenes as they've also been called and and you have like the book of Enoch that was canonized um, in a couple first centuries BC and then taken out during the Council of Nicaea era when the Constantinian dynasty was putting together the Christian Empire. And of course, you have Jesus quoting from the book of Enoch and Jude, the book of Jude directly, word for word, quoting the book of Enoch, which was later taken out because of its ideas on fallen angels being physical beings and all these different things. 
What's really interesting when I was listening to this this video last night, he was the things that he was saying were very esoteric, and it was like you will understand the beginning once you understand the end. And the way he phrased it was, he's like, he's like, yeah, like there is no beginning or end. You're in the present moment, and you need to make the best of it. And which I, I believe, like most Christians, overlook the, how many times the word meditation was dropped in the Bible, or the fact that the three wise men came from the Far East uh, during the birth of the Messiah, which was under a star, which I believe you know leads right into astrotheology and things like that. Um, and then the you know Christ. Uh, disappearing from the Bible for a number of years. I yeah. mean, like my thought is like, well, he went to go visit the Buddhists, the Taoists, the Hindus, and yeah, you know, like the 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 the, the magicians from the Far East to yeah, yeah. Well, what's wild about that whole story? There's there's a little bit of truth there that leads to a huge history. So like the the Magi, right? The ma it says the three Magi came to visit Christ. And the Magi came from the east. Now, the Magi is the name of the Zoroastrian priest. Okay. And the Zoroastrians precede Judaism, and it's actually been stated by scholars that Judaism was influenced by Zoroastrianism. Primarily, it's, it's good and evil, dualistic um, ideas, and it's ideas of a judgment day and heaven and hell and all these different things. And so it's interesting. And the Zoroastrians, primarily through their prophet um, Zoroaster or Zarathustra, uh, preached about a coming Messiah. He preached about that. This is a thousand years before Judaism. So it's interesting that, you know, these three magi come to visit Christ. So it's like a bridge between the old world mystics and the now forming mystic of, of Christianity. Well, another really fascinating thing with like, like a lot of like the stuff that it says in the Bible, like how people, they take it literal. And some of those translations are some of those, you know, statements should be taken uh for face value but there's like for me again a lot of metaphors a lot of parables and things in there like when they talk about like uh when moses was uh on the hill you know with the with the, with the law and he came down and he broke the law on, on the israelites because they were worshiping the golden cow which was the end of the age of Taurus and mm -hmm. and Moses, which in a lot of the statues and paintings is depicted with ram's horn because he was the yeah. entering of the age of Aries. And mm. then the Old Testament closes out and then you have Christ depicted by the fish, which is the coming of Pisces. Yeah. And, and and then now what we have, like the water bearer, age of Aquarius, the new age. Yeah. All that stuff, all these ascended masters and that whole weird trickery stuff that goes on sometimes. But um, real quick, have you ever heard of the, or have you ever read the book of Bartholomew? I don't think so, no. That's actually my favorite of the Apocrypha. That one's wild. It's also known as the Questions of Bartholomew. That, that's not in the regular Bible, is it? No, it's Apocrypha. It's part of like the, the extra biblical books that were taken out. Okay, but that's what the, that's what they're called the apocrypha. The apocrypha, okay. Like the Gospel of Thomas and all that stuff, but that one's wild. Actually, Bartholomew is my favorite of the apostles. He was actually uh, skinned alive, man. Oh jeez. They were all they all actually died horrible deaths, but he was skinned alive, dude. And 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 um, Michelangelo in that Last Judgment painting that he did, uh -huh. you you see Bartholomew in the middle of it, right next to Christ, um, holding up his dead skin. Take oh, a look Jesus. at it again, dude. It's a okay. badass. Uh, um, yeah, it's badass. Somebody's got to get that tatted or something. Dude. I'm pretty sure that's a Michelangelo sculpture, La Pieta. Uh huh. Yeah, where she's holding Christ. The, the, it's a stat. It's from a statue. Yeah, it's like one of the most like finely detailed statues. Yeah. It's like it's wild. It's, it's the, the Virgin. Did didn't she have? Wasn't she in the Apocrypha as well? Yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna get to in the in the uh, Book of Bartholomew. Actually, it stated that Bartholomew, Jesus says to Bartholomew that he is. The 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 um, basically he dons him as the uh, the head of the apostles. There's a specific word he uses. I don't remember, but he basically says Bartholomew, like you are the head of the, of my of my apostles. Like you're you're the OG, pretty much. He gives him like the OG title, and and in the questions of Bartholomew, he asks Jesus all these very deep questions, like how did this happen? How did that happen? And what's funny is that throughout the whole story, they're like on some sort of vessel flying through the clouds. Okay. And, uh, UFO. Yeah. And, and so the, he, he finally asked him, well, like how, what happened with the inception, you know, with Mary? 
And I guess Mary is there with them in this vessel. And strangely enough, Mary gives them the tale, but she says, hold me together for if I start to say this tale, my body, my limbs might come apart, which is very weird and philosophical. But I guess if we take it for literal, she's saying, hold me together because I might explode <laughs> right now yeah. for telling this truth. And it's wild, dude. And she basically says that she's like a little girl and that an angel of the Lord comes in and basically says, like, we must have sex. We must have sex together. And and it says that in a little more, like, you know, less um, blunt way. But she says, yeah, she had sex with this angel. It says, I remember it was kind of funny. It says there were rumblings in the room. Okay. Like, there were some rumblings in the room. Okay, this is that, that medieval porn <laughs> Yeah, so she has sex with an angel of the Lord and who impregnates her. And um, But yeah, the thing about Mary in the Apocrypha, she was also uh, concepted immaculately as well. Apparently Mary's parents too, the church doesn't tell you this, but in the Apocrypha, Mary's parents were actually royal bloodline. And she was incepted by, uh, by a virgin birth too. So it's like she was chosen to carry on that seed. Now, do you think that 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 they were that it was necessarily virgin birth, or do you think it was more like Nephilim fuckery and oh and yeah, like the, the the fallen angels are coming in and fornicating with the daughters of man? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think it was, man. It was more of that. I mean, because maybe they could have they could have like appeared in the middle of the night and did some weird had some weird seduction device where people felt like they were dreaming yeah. and they I don't know. Well yeah, it was like classic it was like classic Jerry Springer or Maury, like, nah, that's not my kid. It must have been a virgin. <laughs> but it was just Nephilim, you know? Yeah. It ain't my kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, man. The the like the it's crazy because like the deeper that like I learn about like things like the apocrypha and like these hidden gospels, the Nag Hammadi, the 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 Dead Sea Scrolls, the Book of Enoch, and and even like a lot of like the astrotheology in the regular Holy Bible. Um, the more I realize, like, okay, like these books are just, in my view, recordings of people who um, who found. When we think of enlightenment, we think of like blissed out nirvana and, you know, not the band, but like, you know, yeah. like like people are being all blissed out. But I feel like a lot of times like awakening, it's like, I mean, at least in my experience, a lot of it's really painful and it's not really pleasant. And, and you got to go to dark places to find like those nuggets of truth in the light, you know. And so the more I read all this stuff, I'm like. And I've said before, I've never read the entire Bible. I mean, I grew up for years in the churches as a kid, but I'm like, wow, man, like my life and my path has totally been in alignment with a lot of the higher, more mystical aspects of, you know, biblical and, you know, the books of that have been hidden too. Yeah. And, and, um, when we like, we deal with like religion and like how judgmental and how like asleep they are a lot of times it's, yeah. it's, it's, it blows me away. It's like, what, why would you think that Jesus spoke all this love tolerance and like, you know, equality and brotherhood and sisterhood of man, but that he would come back and just start dividing all the world religions and sending people to hell. Like, yeah. come on, man. Like actions. It's about our actions. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And there's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of history that's being hidden, and that could shed light on what's going on today. And I guess we can get into a little bit of it, you know, with the Anunnaki, if you'd like. Absolutely. But, yeah. So I mean, that's that's a huge part of this whole puzzle. And Zechariah Sitchin, who we can accredit to giving us the knowledge on the Anunnaki initially, actually credits um, an old rabbi commentator by the name of Malbim for giving him the idea. So, like, in the early Jewish church, um, there were commentators, right? And there were famous commentators who the Jew Jewish church uh, respected. And Malbim was one of them. He commentated on the entire Torah and gave his introspection on it. And uh, when it came to Genesis 1.26, when, when, when it says that the Elohim created man in their image, and then the whole Nephilim story, Malbim concludes that basically there were a race of extraterrestrials that came here and mated with us and created these fallen races so it wasn't something that Sitchin really came up with he actually took that from Malbim this rabbi commentator and then kind of postulated on that he also had experiences as a kid too 
where he would question his teachers on translations that they were saying incorrectly and would reprimand him like like just shut up you know like don't question it so with all that going on he realized there's way more going on and um his series of books the earth chronicles are pretty much um, diving into the deeper history of, of the bible because to, like for him and many people like him the bible is a summary it's a summarization of of huger stories that have happened in our past mm-hmm. involving these beings yeah man it, it's it's it just blows me away like how it doesn't blow me away at all though like when when you look at like just the deification of politics, of religion, of, you know, monetary things, medical, science, like people literally like, and if you look in each one of these institutions, it's the same formula. It's like, this is the narrative. Don't question it or you're going to get ridiculed. And yeah, you know, yeah. And but, the- but everybody in those, in, that, that's in those religions they all love like the trailblazers, the weirdos like us that come up with these like weird theories or the arts or whatever. Yeah. But whenever they were, then they see us in real life, they criticize us. It's like, yeah. it's like you loved our creations and, and loved what we brought to the table. But to you, we don't do it right because we don't follow it. Like every, the 90% of you guys follow it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, the real are always crucified, man. Like, you know, they're never giving their flowers while they're here. It's always afterwards. Let me put them on a T-shirt, you know. But, uh, yeah, man, all this indoctrination and stuff, like, started way back then. And it's just, they just keep switching up the program. It's it's, just, it's the same program, just different, you know, software, which is, and the software is the religion. And the hardware, like, are the rites and weird ceremonies. But what's interesting is, like, the Sumerians, our first civilization, you know, of modern history. I say modern because, you know, there's the legendary Atlantis time. How long ago were the Sumerians around? Uh, mainstream history puts them at about um, four to 5,000 BC. So uh, was that like 9,000 years ago? Uh, about, right? F- uh, six, uh, yeah, about eight to 9,000 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's when we see them. But they're also, they're, they're like the first actual structured civilization. But there was a couple of people before them. Like, for example, the, the Al-Ubaid people named after the you know Ubaidian um, city. But they weren't as structured. They were just strangely this strange precursor to the Sumerians. And then the Sumerians just jump out, out of nowhere with all these freaking ziggurats and, and clay and civilization and Hammurabi with codes and all this craziness, man, that, that we can still see standing today. And everything they did, they gave it up to the gods. They credited it to the gods. The gods being the Anunnaki? Yeah. So they had such a, a much more respect for, for the gods and everything. Whereas like that, where that relationship with the gods and them was, was like very, I don't know, like consensual, I guess. Whereas now it's like an indoctrination on us. Like the church just indoctrinates us. And like with the inquisition, you know, literally yeah. like said, worship us or you'll be killed. Yeah. But back in the Sumerian times, it wasn't like that. Well, and they're compromised because in order for a priest to get to become a priest or a preacher, they got to go to school, mainstream school, which I mean, clearly in the last five years, we could tell that the education system is to indoctrinate, not to educate. Yeah. So like if you've got to go to mainstream school to become a preacher or a priest, you're in on it, whether you know it or not. Yeah. Yeah. They just it's the same thing, man. They're just cranking out things, you know, like. The school system, the legal system, the church system, all these institutions just teach the the narrative that the globalist control system yeah. wants it to be. You know, so it's like I always say this, the, the church is designed for you not to actually read the Bible correctly. Schools are designed for you not yes. to actually learn education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the justice system is actually designed to fail. All those things are designed to fail, man. But uh, there's... But it all goes to a source when things were more pure, I believe, you know. I mean, the Anunnaki, some def, some people would say genetically engineered the Homo sapien, and, and there were some good ones and some bad ones. Yeah. It's all up for interpretation uh, because they were people just like us. They were beings just like yeah. us, capable of, of harm and, and good. Well, God created us in his image. All right, yeah. let us create them in our image, the Elohim, right? Yeah, well, that that whole thing's a trip. Now, now I have Elohim tattooed on my arm right here in Hebrew, and this tattoo gets me in trouble, you know, good trouble. Uh, people always 
come up to me and start speaking Arabic to me or something. I'm Mexican. Yeah, because you look <laughs> Middle Eastern. I if do. you were in Hawaii, they, the Hawaiians would think you're an islander too. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, what do they say? They say, hey, um, how's it, brother? They say, how's it? Yeah. How's it, brother? Aina provide. Yeah, Aina provide. Right? My uncle lived you over there. You want to go for surf, cause? Hey, on um, a not sure. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I lived on Kauai and Maui. It was awesome. I never had any problems with locals. Dude, I, I had it. problems with Howleys. <laughs> yeah, the Howleys. Howleys. Man. Yeah, I, w- I went to Hawaii, Oahu once for a couple of weeks. My uncle used to live out there with his wife, who was a native. But they split. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, it was a cool time, man. Yeah. There's some interesting stories out there. Do you know Do you know anything about, like, and I know you do, but, like, the lineage of the Anunnaki, like, the people in charge, uh, I always forget um, uh, uh, Enlil and Anki and yeah. the, the names and what each one of their specific uh, titles were as far as like the system of the the Anunnaki. And is it like the 12 apostles or anything like that? Very similar. So there are 12 Bam. gods. There's always 12, bro. Yeah. 12 signs to a... 12 Knights of the Round Table, a Baker's Dozen. Yeah, there are the 12 original Anunnaki gods, but then there are a bunch of other smaller gods. Now, the Anunnaki starts, the, the head of the Anunnaki is Anu, right? Anu, okay. he's the father of them, but he's not the end-all, be-all creator. He actually used to be a cupbearer or assistant to another, uh, another god by the name of um, Alalu. As the tales tell us, some of these Sumerian tales say that Alalu was 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 the boss of Anu, but Alalu was kind of shady, and um, so Anu challenged him to a duel, and uh, for whatever reason they did that naked. <laughs> they would wrestle naked. It was just a weird thing, I guess, that they would do, and um, so Anu, you know, beat him in that in that duel, and then and then became the head of the Anunnaki and then his wife was known as Antu um, and then he had two sons and she was cool with him wrestling naked with dudes <laughs> I guess so man she probably <laughs> liked it I guess she was like yeah <laughs> I'll watch yeah so so he was just a, a young deity at one point you know who just moved his way up and then he had uh, his firstborn son was Enki which means lord of earth En in Sumerian means lord Key means earth, so Enki, Lord Earth, Lord of Earth. Lord of Earth. And he was his firstborn, but he was born of a concubine, you know, or, you know, basically not of royal blood. Because what's weird is even in the Bible, this tradition carries on. Abraham is, is trying to get Sarah, his, his uh, half-sister, pregnant. There's a lot of this in the Bible where it's like you have to get your half-sister pregnant or somebody in your family, not like you're straight it's up. It's the <laughs> same as the royals today, dude. Yeah. The incestuous, weird. Yeah, man. It's to keep the seed pure yes. and stuff. It's a trip. So that goes back to the Anunnaki. We learned that from them. So Enki was born of a concubine, not a half-sister. So although he was the firstborn, he did not have rights to succession. The secondborn was Enlil, Lord of the Command. Lil is the command. and um. It's kind of funny how like you got like Lil, all these Lils now, right? Like Lil Wayne, Lil, Lil Zane, Lil yes. You know, like there's got to be some connection there. But Lil Uzi Vert. Yeah, Lil. Lucifer. And Lil. So, and Lil was the original Lil. But, so that's Lord of Command. He was more militant, more combative. And then um, from there, you have their sons. From, so on the Enki side of things, you had Ningisida, which means, I guess, he of the tree of life. Okay. And people... Uh, like Sitchin equate him to Toth. The okay. God. Yeah, yeah, Thoth. Thoth. Yep. I, you, it's probably pronounced Toth, I but just, I'm saying yeah. Thoth because like a lot of people they won't understand. Like they'll be like T H. Yeah. You know, but it's like T H O T H, not T O T H. Yeah, you know, it's wild. The way that you're actually sp- supposed to pronounce Thoth or Toth is Tehuti. Really? Yeah. It's Tehuti. Okay, Tehuti. Yeah. That's yeah. like Nawa almost. Yeah. Yeah. Tehuti. Hey, I think it's that's actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I think that's actually more badass, Tehuti. 
That's a good yeah. name. It's so, and just, the, dude, it, what's so crazy about all that is I think we we talked about last time was Viracocha. Yeah. And and was that an Olmec? Yeah, I got an Olmec tattoo. Yeah, body. and well, the the story of Viracocha like is through all of Mesoamerica, and yeah. when you listen to the to what Viracocha was, dude, it's like the story of Christ, but in Latin yeah. America, he walks on waters, he brings apostles with him. When he's angered, he melts mountains. Like yeah. you know, that's like in in Revelation right there, you know. Yeah. And he was a master master builder like in in hebrew or um greek yeah. uh christ is the uh architecton which yeah. is master builder um and what's really weird about tiki viracocha is when he leaves he walks across water even though the, re the reflection of the sun actually walks across water and yeah. we know viracocha was also uh, a sun representative he, was, he wore a crown you know and christ was all about the sun yeah and and when he left he walked toward off across the pacific towards the hawaiian islands and when i lived in hawaii i was like well who is tiki and they're like oh he's basically the hawaiian jesus and yeah I just, the hawaiian just to, jesus the way things tie together is so mind-blowing yeah and uh Sitchin would say that the whole americas were populated by the anki um lineage the serpent lineage because uh, Ningesida and Enki were both um, symbolized by the serpent and like as gods of wisdom and knowledge. That makes sense because Rome was the eagle. Yeah. And that's that's on the other land. That's mass. Enlil. And what's a trip is like, so you have Enlil and then his two sons were, were um, Ninorta, which is he's written about a lot in like the Akkadian and Assyrian. Asia is um, also the serpent, right? Yeah. The dragons. Well, what's weird about that, and I'll get to that in a, in a sec with China and stuff, because I've had to study that a little bit. I've yet to like completely study it, okay. but it connects with the Anunnaki. But so you have uh, Enlil's son Ninurta, which was uh, he was also known as like a storm god, and then you had his other son Nanar, also known as Sin, Nanar Sin, and then um, en Enlil's grandkids, who were who were twins, I believe, um, Adad and Inanna. And Inanna became the, the vindictive, crazy, militant Ishtar. Oh, that's goddess. Ishtar. Okay. Yeah. So Ishtar is actually Lilith Enlil's, or whatever. Lilith, Ishtar. She, Semiramis. Yeah, Semiramis. The Whore of Babylon or whatever. The Whore of Babylon. She's Enlil's granddaughter. And then Adad, her brother, became, became Zeus. Became like... Jupiter. Yeah. Uh, Thor. Yeah. So, so all of Enlil's lines are like that stuff like the like the storm guy like the militant craziness um, was his line the one that was connected to the tree of life ah uh, man that's probably anki but i'm not sure because like uh zeus is thor and yeah. and they had was that tree isgard or asgard or yeah. something like the even the, the vikings they had like the tree of life yeah, that symbol, the tree, is, is wild, and it goes back to many things. Um, not something, not something that I've heavily um, researched, but I think we brought it up last time. We're like, apparently, according to the Tartarian, you know, uh, conspiracy or theory, there used to be huge ass trees. Yes. Right. So that idea of the of the world tree probably goes back to like an actual prehistoric memory of just fucking gigantic trees, trees. You know. But then you got the, the Kabbalah tree of life where it's the ten Sephiroth. Mm -hmm. They're just a, arranged in that way to, to mimic a tree. It doesn't Is the Sephiroth like a kingdom or like a civilization? Uh, well, the ten Sephiroth, I believe it's 10 or 12, um, but the Sephiroth in Kabbalah um, refer to the points on the tree of life symbol, but they're all supposed to be attributes of God. Okay. And the mystery behind it, the secret of, of Kabbalah and the Sephiroth is that God has a female aspect. Okay. Well, that makes sense, dude. Yeah, so they're basically saying God, the real creator. Father the, father in the sky, mother in the earth. Yeah, they're basically trying to say that God is an androgynous energy or being, is what they're saying. Mm -hmm. That God created itself, so it's got to be androgynous. But uh, going back to the Anunnaki, so, yeah, so you have, and what's wild too is, is Sitchin postulates in his books that, that Allah, Allah was actually Nanar. Sin. Allah's as in Muslim? Yeah. Islam? Yeah. He's wild, man, because a lot of people don't touch that subject. But he he went for it, and he he, he says that Allah... And isn't isn't Sitchin Jewish? Yeah. Um, he was uh, he was a Russian-born Jew. Okay. Yeah, he was born in Russia and then raised in Hebrew school in Palestine, I believe. But, uh, yeah, he, he said that 
I mean, he details everything incredibly, man. Like, you got to read his whole entire series to to see why he was so adamant on what he believes. Uh-huh. It's insane the, the the level of detail that it goes into things. But he realized that Nanar Sin, the ancient Sumerian deity who was Enlil's son, coincides directly with Allah and and that whole lineage of things that sp- that sprouted up. Was it was that based on like the symbology of like the black cube with the silver in it or the sat oh, any man. of the sat sat Saturn? Yeah, stu- he gets you know into, what I mean. He gets, what's weird is he gets into that like the cube and that thing is a trip too. Like I don't know if people even understand how weird that is because yeah. it goes into all three Abrahamic religions. Yeah, I mean, so in Mecca, right? There's this huge black cube thing that that Muslims circle around. That people Muslims make a pilgrimage there to circle around this black cube, um, you know, praying. But that black cube is actually housing a stone, a a stone that people go and touch. Yeah. And that stone, some people have... It's like inlaid in silver or something. Yeah, some people have speculated or whatever, concluded that it's it's a piece of meteorite or something. But I I think Sitchin says that it was actually a piece of a spacecraft or something. Yeah, like... And there used to be, according to him, in Heliopolis, in the ancient Egyptian city of Heliopolis, there used to be a museum in like, like Alexander the Great's times, where there was a showcasing of gods or quote unquote the gods' spacecraft or vessel. So there were like broken pieces of a of a of a celestial ship in this museum in Heliopolis, but at some point it was like destroyed or taken or whatever. And you, I know you've seen all the glyphs of like the Aztecs and the Toltecs and the mines, and it looks like they're like sitting in like what would be drawn as like primitive spaceships or yeah. whatever. It looks like they're like they got their hand on like stick shifts or whatever and wearing yeah. face masks, like 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 our modern day pilots and stuff. Yeah, like Lord Pakal, he's the famous one, like the the early one. The on the tombstone, and I'd even heard like the Tower of Babel was actually a rocket ship. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that. Yeah, Sitchin gets into that with the, with the terminology. He's big on the terminology and how we translated things. And um, yeah, because in the Bible it says the people are trying to make a name for themselves through the Tower of Babylon, but I guess we translated the word name incorrectly, and it's actually ship. So it's like the people are trying to make a ship for themselves. Well, what's really weird right now is like I I keep telling people I'm like everybody's like oh what you know I don't know what's going on this and that. I'm like dude they're trying to rebuild the Tower of Babel they're trying to have a global AI super state they're trying to prove that they're God this is their kingdom that they, you know we can live forever we can, yeah. you know it's the same again there's nothing new nothing new man at all it's just repeating and repeating and and Sitchin was big on prophecy too he believed that the prophecies of the bible were true and he believes that believe that everything was cyclical that we're living in cyclical uh, time and in his last book the end of days he postulates when they're going to return and it all has to do with nibiru and its uh celestial orbit and how the prophecies of the bible were actually coinciding with nibiru's return and its orbit because if you read biblical prophecy, they're always talking about the end of days and, and the coming of the Lord. There's this whole like terminology that gets thrown throughout the Old Testament, the coming of the Lord. When the Lord comes back, there's going to be darkening of skies, you know, and, and celestial things will be happening. So he thinks that it's Nibiru coming back, not necessarily Christ coming back, but Nibiru that's coming back that will harbinger all these climatic the changes. Yeah, because Nibiru would be like a planet or a ship or something, right? Yeah, so so um, kind of going back to uh the whole twelve gods thing and everything and astrotheology a little bit. So I think the earliest form of astrotheology that we can see is actually the Enuma Elish, which is the Sumerian epic of creation. The Enuma Elish is the story of how our solar system and Earth was created. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Big Bang story, but they, they wrote it as an epic where all the planets have, are named after gods. So you think you're reading a story about gods clashing and having a war, but it's actually um, the solar system being created. Yeah. And in this story, Nibiru um, comes from out of, the, out of the darkness and comes and sets everything into place, starts to set all the erratic orbits into place. 
which he postulated as being an actual factual thing because for example uranus one of the outer planets is actually flopped on its belly i don't know if you know this so most planets are right rotating like a top right uranus is actually on its belly um rotating like on its side like this i don't know how to describe that for the uh, listeners but yeah. you know it's it's flopped on its side and we don't know why and then you got other things where where the asteroid belt is is moving in retrograde the asteroid belt doesn't follow the the planetary orbits they it goes in retrograde so whatever that was it it it's got smashed by something coming at it to cause it to go that, that in retrograde orbit so if you read the Enuma Elish, you read this clashing of gods and planets and Marduk um, or Nibiru, as it's also known, because it was named after later on named uh, Marduk after the Babylonian god. And by the way, the Enuma Elish used to be the the pinnacle of the New Year festivals in Babylonian times. So and during the, the New Year festivals, they would um, reenact the Enuma Elish with the gods and stuff. And Marduk or Nibiru was always hailed as the hero of the story because the gods are being erratic and everything's crazy. Mm-hmm. But Marduk comes and fights the planets or the gods. Mm-hmm. And puts s- order to it or something. Exactly. Puts order to everything. And what happens is Marduk or Nibiru um, severs Tiamat, which is this dragon, this, this dragon being. But Tiamat actually used... It used to be this huge watery planet. Yeah, Lucifer. Yeah, it can coincide with that. Right, Satan. Yeah. Right, because like again, like with the gods, like we were just talking about the black cube. That is Saturn right there, right? Yeah. Because they're walking around, they're doing their pilgrimage. They are supposed to be the rings of Saturn. Yeah. And so then, yeah, and then I'd heard like, uh, Satan rivaled the light of God. But they would say Christ is the son of God. And yeah. so you've probably heard oh, there was a water bearing planet and it was yeah. kicked out of the cosmos or whatever. Yeah. And well, was that Saturn? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Well, apparently, so according to the Enuma, Elish, it was Nibiru that, that, uh, and it's moons. It had four moons. It was actually, it's moons that crash into Tiamat. Excuse me. And, and, and one half of Tiamat became the asteroid belt. And the other half eventually became Earth, closing on itself, which which we can now see in its huge scarish fissures in, in on, on the uh, ocean floor, which eventually is closed in on itself, creating a smaller planet. So uh, that is like one of the earliest forms of astrotheology. But when it comes to Saturn and all that stuff, uh, man, I like David Icke's approach on it. Have you heard his Saturn theory? I know I have. I I still listen. I like listened to David Icke a few days ago. Like yeah. he 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 still just fucking kills it, dude. Yeah. I I I love like his. You know, even his stuff on reptilians. Like I'm down with all of that shit. Like he's like his big thing now is talking about consciousness. And, yeah. And I really like that. It's like I don't know, like all like. I started out listening to him like 20 years ago and he's like, I've watched this progression over the years and I like, like where he's gone. It's like Mike Tyson he used to be my hero cause he knocked everyone out and now he's like the nicest guy. He's all into yeah. hallucinogens and spirituality. I was like, Oh, he's a hero for different reasons now. Yeah. Not really a hero, but it's like, you know, you mean? it's yeah. good to see him, you know, he's a role model. Yeah. You know, it's um. good to see people like him in, in like positions of like success or yeah. the public eye talking about spirituality and things like that yeah dude i always trip on people's stories like that fascinates me a lot how we all have a story that will end one day and and it's amazing to have that privilege to to be able to see somebody's story in full right like for example like randomly i was watching this this dude kind of chronicle michael jackson's occult you know battles and stuff Uh and it was one of those videos you know getting into the the conspiratorial occultism and michael jackson and And how he died yeah, but it's interesting how we have the privilege to be able to to look at a person's entire life, mm-hmm. and and you and you can see God's work when, yes. you, when you take the time to di, you know digest and analyze it. So, uh, Mike Tyson, actually, I was recently thinking about that too. Like, yeah, I mean, he was like the fighting champion of the world, just this wild, aggressive dude. But his story wasn't going to end there, you know. Little do we know, he was actually going to become this this peaceful giant. Yeah. You know, humbled by DMT and God and, and frog medicine. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and become one of these leading voices for DMT now. Yeah. 
So it's like our stories are always evolving, man. Have you listened to his hot boxing with Mike podcast? Yeah. Yeah, he's got some good stuff on there. Yeah, dude. So with uh with with Ike, right? And his story is crazy too, how he used to be a professional soccer player. You talking about Ike Turner playing? <laughs> Yo, smacking these hoes. Yeah. But uh yeah, so Ike, man, like he used to be a professional soccer player and then he worked for a news broadcasting place after he broke his leg or whatever. And then he just talks about just having his spiritual awakening, going to Peru and doing ayahuasca and then crying. David Ike? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's his story. I didn't know that he did ayahuasca. Yeah, he was a professional soccer player over there in London, broke his leg, became a sports newscaster. I remember that, yeah. I remember reading his book, and he said he always felt like he was just being watched. Yeah. Even when nobody was around. Like there was just some spiritual entity there, which led him to this journey of going to Peru, doing ayahuasca, and then crying in the rain. And then... The rain, the voice in the rain told him that you're going to go off to be a world leader, which he is. Did you see that video of him screaming freedom? No. Oh, it's chilling. He's like talking to all these people. Yeah. And it was like, like literally like a year ago or some yeah. shit. He's like talking to like 150,000, 200,000 people. And he's like, and they're trying to take us over. And we're like, freedom. Like, dude, it was like. Braveheart in real life. I can get in the chills thinking yeah, about it. Like, I'll, I'm going to find that video and send it to you. Dude, please do. See, that's what I'm saying, man. Like these full circle things. I love, I'm fascinated by people's stories and Me their journeys. Too. Yeah. It's always full circle. So I'm, I'm always curious, like, man, I don't know where mine's going to end up, but it's going to be this weird, miraculous moment of full circleness. Well, we're like looking at this earth. And for me, it's like a gigantic body because I believe that everything in our uh, creation is cyclical and based off patterns and what we're doing is in this body we're we're sitting here we're we're calculating and we're um we're uh observing the movement of the blood cells which is the living creatures on this body and trying to make sense of the function of this body and and how it operates and what's yeah. it uh I, that's just my weird interpretation <laughs> of it yeah, dude. And real quick, actually, this is like a pretty interesting theory that I had, super off topic. But when it comes to UFOs, right? I don't like really believe this, but it's an interesting theory that I thought of when I was like baked one time. So like everybody thinks that UFOs are either coming from another planet and another I don't galaxy that. or other I dimensions. I think it's Earth te technology or Earth technology or dimensions or inner Earth or whatever. But nobody has ever thought this. What if they're actually coming from the microscopic level of life? You know, like what if like UFOs and stuff, they're actually zapping into our existence from a microscopic level. Uh, I see what you're saying. Dude. Absolutely. Like, like, um, not dimension, but yeah, like dimensions, like, like, you know how, like if you take a hallucinogen and then you're, you're, you're still in this world, but you can see another world within this world like yeah. that almost well, like fractal zoo. Cause like you can yeah. zoom, you can zoom in down to the subatomic level of things. Yeah. Right. You can zoom into the sub subatomic level of things. And even then you can go further. I mean, we haven't been able to. So I'm just thinking like, man, what if aliens or certain entities are actually residing within microscopic levels of subatomic places and then just like kind of zoom out? Yeah, they're able to magnify out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a good one. Wild. I like that. Dude, in a few days, on Thursday, I'm supposed to go do a guided ketamine journey. Whoa. And I'm actually very nervous about it. I don't yeah. enjoy. See, I'm not the guy. I'm not the friend that enjoys the hallucinogens. I do them to face fears. Yeah. Right? And I've done a lot of hallucinogens. And every time, well, when I was in high school, I loved frying on acid. Yeah. But eventually, I started having bad trips, and I would take too much. I took three drops of liquid one time, and that was not pleasant. Damn. Uh, but uh, I don't regret it because, like, it's like I got through it. It's like ayahuasca. I got to do that like six or seven times in Hawaii, and yeah. and then I. Uh, and and this guy was explaining the ketamine thing to me, and he and I was like, oh man, I did. Ket I told him I was like, oh, I did ketamine like a couple, you know, like two decades ago, and I really enjoyed it. He's like, yeah, you're probably not gonna enjoy this one. Dang. He's like, we're gonna do it intravenously. It's gonna hit you immediately. You're probably gonna lose all, you know, uh, uh, you're gonna have no physical body. So like, Whoa. you're just gonna have consciousness, and uh, it's a guided journey so they they play like this music that takes you into like the darkest corners of your subconscious oh, to face whatever fears you've been ignoring or that yeah. changed your life 
And when I look back, I've had some dark shit in my life. Yeah. So it's like, but I also know because of a lot of these journeys that I went through, like the, the intensity of shrooms or ayahuasca or whatever, the end result, like as I'm coming out of it, it opens up to like these beautiful revelations. And it was yeah. like, not only did I make it through that, like, oh, this makes sense now. Or Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like the book of the dead, man, and how the Egyptians were like obsessed about preparing for that transition it's almost and and uh yeah it's like that man like i did a guided meditation one time with a sound bowl and oh I, yeah i was sober but i was it was so intense yes and i was going through dark times and at that time my motto my my mantra basically right because like the things that we say to ourselves like today's gonna be great whatever like we have mantras sometimes that we unconsciously say to ourselves and during that time my mantra was the hell ride I was like, let's go on the hell ride. Like that was what I'd say to the homie, like, yo, let's go do a hell ride. Let's go on a hell ride. You gotta go through hell to get to heaven. Yeah. So the hell ride was like the mantra, and that was pretty much just let's go party, let's go wild, you know? And so that was my mindset was just the hell ride, chaos. And I'm doing this guided meditation with the sound bowl, and I the whole trip was just me going through through hellfire. Like I was on I was literally like the Book of the Dead. I was on this rowboat thing and it's this entity was guiding me through like hellfire and like I just all these horrible images and and I I couldn't break through though. I know it wanted me to keep going to break through that mantra and break through that mind state, but it was just too crazy. I couldn't. So I opened up my eyes and I was like, Man, I I can't do it. I wish I would have though, because I think my subconscious basically, my subconscious was trying to take me through that that book of the dead ride, right? To to get through that hell ride mind state and then open up into a new mantra. I, uh, had, it was right after I had pulled like almost six years in YA. I was locked up for like almost six years and I was dating this chick in North Hollywood up the street. And, uh, she had this neighbor and this lady, she was like a tarot reader and a crystal bowl healer. Yeah. And she took me down to meet this lady and this lady just like instantly really liked me. And she's like, She's like, uh, she's like, I want to do a, a crystal bowl session with you. And so she like starts calling in all these angels and I sit down and like, you know, cross legged yeah. in meditation position and she starts doing the bowl and I'm feeling the vibration of the sound literally like there's, there was four of us. It was her, her son, me and my, my ex. Yeah. And the sound was like literally going around us and you could feel it on your back. Like it felt like the hairs were standing up on the back of your body. Yeah. And I felt to go one, one, one and like circle around us, circle us around it. And then all of a sudden it landed right into my heart and wow. I just broke down crying. Wow. It was crazy, bro. Yeah. And I'm not a crier. So yeah. it was just like, <laughs> I literally felt that vibration just hit. And then like, she said something like, you got to open it, bro. It's the same thing. Annie did a fucking healing session on me a cup, like a month ago. Yeah. And I've had like five people in my life do like, like I've had multiple people do healing, but five particular people in my life that have done like healing. And they're always like, they go deep. They're always like, you have the most beautiful heart, but it's like covered in this like black protective matter that, you know, it's like, it wants to burst out, but you can't. And like Annie said that to me. And like, ever since I was like, damn, that's like the fifth person that said this to me, man. I really got to start doing like heart opening meditations or something. Yeah. Cause that lady 20 years ago said the same fucking thing basically. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some interesting um, interactions with, like, clairvoyances and stuff. And people always kind of just say the same thing about me, like kind of like what you said. Like, you sent me this whole chart on my on my number and everything. It's oh, like yeah. I've always been kind of just like that, like, uh, teacher, right? That yeah. teacher and stuff. What and was he, your number again? Was it nine? Yeah. Okay, yeah, because nine is the, is the, the it's the, uh, it's almost the closing of, it's yeah. almost a new beginning, right? It's almost yeah. the end. You're almost at the end. Yeah, dude. I had an interesting interaction once. So you've uh, learned a lot from your experiences as a nine. Yeah, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I've just always had this, this intuitive knowledge ever since I was a kid. And, like, people always, like, come to me as if I'm, like, their therapist or for help. You know, it's like, you know, people that are older than me, like, in my family, have always looking looking to me for help. And I'm like, damn, dog, like, you're older than me. You know, like, so. Yeah, but you're also a cancer, so you're a water sign. Cancer is known for their intuition and clairvoyance. Yeah. So I've always had to, Nikolai like. Nikolai Tesla was a cancer. Really? Yeah. Mike yeah. Tyson. 
Yeah, so I always felt like I had to grow up early or, like, take care of people or help people and stuff like that. But um, trying to think any interesting – I remember this one clairvoyant lady that I met one time. It was an interesting story. It wasn't, like, anything too spiritual. It was just, it was just interesting. I used to be a Lyft driver, right? Okay. And, and uh, I was going to go home this night, but I was like, you know what? Let me let me do one more more one more one ride. It was, like, midnight. Okay. And I, I go to this affluent neighborhood in, like, Rancho Santa Fe, and then it's a big house, and, like, this blonde lady comes out – and I thought she was younger. I was like, oh, yeah, welcome. You know, goes in the back of my car and we're just cruising around. And I look back and she's actually much older than I thought. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, we're talking and chilling or whatever. And then we decided to hang out afterwards, you know, kick it. And then uh, turns out she's a clairvoyant and stuff like this and kind of connected with the community. Interesting lady. Turns out she was like she she was the mistress of um, now. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but this is what she told me. OK. She was the mistress of allegedly of uh, Nassim Haramine. I met Nassim Haramine when I was Haramine. in Kauai, and I got to say, uh, he didn't, he wasn't very nice. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think some of his stuff is very fascinating, and other stuff I'm just like, eh, I'm not, yeah. whatever, you know, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, I get to go to the Resonance Project where he, like, he had his thing, and... Mm. But he, I had met him at this place called the Golden Chalice Palace, and he like walked up to me, like mad dogging me as he walked up to me, and he's like, "I'm Nassim, what's your name?" And I was just like, "Whoa, hey man, yeah. I'm Jeremy. How you doing?" I don't know if it's because I'm covered in tattoos or yeah. you know, and he had never really seen me, but interesting. I don't know. I some of the things that he says, I'm like, all right. And, I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. I can so see he was, that. I believe that. I believe that she was probably the mistress of him. Yeah. I, I only say that like cautiously because I don't know if he's like <laughs> married or what. You yeah. know what I mean? But she was a very interesting lady. How she long was, ago was this? Man, this was like 2018-ish. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But me and her had an interesting moment too, you know. Uh, and But she was cool. She like, she kind of like, she got into her trance and she just like asked me anything. Do you remember her name? I do, but I don't want to. Air it out. What's, I can tell you after. Okay, because I, I might know her. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. It's a small world. Yeah, she's a blonde lady. She's cool. And she's, she's like, connected. Like, she goes to the Conscious Life Expo okay. a lot. Okay. Yeah, I might know who you're She's had dinner about. with, like, Don, uh, Eric Von Daniken and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I like him. Yeah. Yeah. She was cool. Um, I don't agree with everything he says, but a lot of what yeah. he says I'm very fascinated by. I think he's also a cancer. Oh, tight. But yeah, it's funny. And after shortly after that, I actually ended up seeing Nassim like at the grocery store, like from far away. And I was like, Nassim. What what city? In Carl's Encinitas or something. Okay. Yeah, but he's I, a surfer. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. He didn't look back though. I was like driving. I was like, I was like Nassim, and but he just never looked back. I think he was ignoring me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, she was she was a trip. But I've come across people like that throughout my life, like at bookstores too. Mm-hmm. Bookstores, you always get that, you know, that witchy lady there. That just like looks at you and says, "You have an aura about you," you know. Yeah. So it's like reading you on the spot. Yeah. I've gotten that plenty of times. Yeah, man, freaking, uh, it's a trip, dude. Like all this whole journey is 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 a, it's a long, strange trip, like the Grateful Dead says. But it's it's beautiful. It's ugly. It's like you got to get through hell. To get to heaven, like I said yeah. earlier, dude. Like I feel like, particularly for us, like, and I feel like everything that is heavenly had to be crushed like a diamond or, or like, you know, blacksmithed like a sword. It had to be pounded out. It had to be grinded down. It had to be put through the flame to become, you know, this beautiful, you know what I mean? Like anything yeah. that we got good at your, from your studies to my art, my tattoos or whatever it is, like... It was all trial and error. It was like, it starts yeah, out as just like this in the beginning. It's like, if you look back now, like, you know, 15 years ago, like, yeah, some of my work was good, but I'm sure you'd be like, man, I'm on such a different page now. But, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely trial and error, man. Yeah. Like I've said before in some podcasts, like, uh, this is my second book that I released. First book I released, which was actually on the Anunnaki that I'm revising to release this summer was like an industry failure <laughs> failed pretty bad because i never it, my writing style was just terrible at the time but yeah no I've, I've gone through these failures as an artist and these different incarnations as an artist and my recent incarnation with esoteric eddie is, is it's hidden you know it's finally connecting with the people 
Yeah, man. Um, is there anything else you want to like put out there or say or you know drop anything? I I know yeah. you you have that YouTube channel with Esoteric Eddie TV. I really like that too. Yeah, yeah. Got the YouTube Esoteric Eddie TV. Got some documentaries on there. Just dropped a new one on the history of the Illuminati. Okay. The actual history with Adam Weishaupt and his sad rise and quick f- demise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually give us a list of some of the things that you've done on esoteric uh, TV. Cause some of the listeners might be really interested. Yeah. So I got uh, a documentary on the Illuminati. Uh, I'm going to, hold on. I'm just going to pull my phone out and just quickly look down the list. It's not too many at this point. I, it's only been out for Eddie's out there dropping. Hey, thanks man. Uh, dun, dun, dun. I had I had the most viewed one was um, my video on Credo Mutwa, the last Sanusi of the Zulu tribe, who talks about who David Icke interviewed, where he talks about the reptilian race and. Yes, a yeah. lot of ancient cultures talk about reptilians. I mean, even like the Egyptians and I, b- I believe even the Sumerians, they had like glyphs of reptilian beings. Yeah, they did. I had that was a, my most popping video. But well, then you to, got uh, Quetzalcoatl. A reptilian deity. The great serpent. The Asians, the reptilian deities, dragons. Yeah, dude. So that video was popping, but I had to take it down. And my bad to everybody who liked it, but I'm, I'm editing it, going to okay. re-upload it. Because per YouTube's policies, I'm trying to fight them on certain things. But yeah, so we got the Illuminati documentary. We got Zechariah Sitchin documentary. The Secrets of the doc- Dollar Bill. UFOs, aliens, occult. Ethiopia. Ooh, the, the Holy Grail. Does uh, it go into that there? No, I didn't get You've heard that. of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The Holy Grail and that whole thing. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, just remember, refresh my mind on certain things right there. But uh, yeah, Ethiopia, Bill Cooper, just different things. Project Gateway, Elifus Levy, and, and different things on there. An uh, interesting one I want to point out. I just interviewed. It's, my, it's the only interview I have on there. Not trying to do podcasts and interviews, but I will, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. And this one I had to do. It's an interview with Sophia Stewart, the the woman who um, took Warner Brothers to court in the early 2000s, claiming that they stole the Matrix and Terminator stories from her. Uh, do, Hollywood is an incestuous, vampiric yeah. thief. It, it's, it's super dark arts. Absolutely. I worked for the studio. So did my dad. Really? Yeah. My dad did so. He built like all kinds of shit on. He was like a high level prop maker in the studios. No way. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Check out that, that interview. She's a very eccentric. Sophia and, Stewart. Yeah. She's cool. She, she claimed in the documentary and, and or the interview. And when I spoke to her on the phone to have been tutored by the Illuminati at the age of seven. So she gets into that a little bit, man. She's it like Kathy O'Brien. You ever heard of her? The, the yeah. K Ultra. Yeah, um, my bad. I'm just looking at a text that I just got. But uh, yeah, man, plenty of cool stuff on there. Hit me up on Instagram, Esoteric Eddie. Uh, there's also exclusive content on there, and uh, I'm always working, man. I got, I'm always working. I already got a number of things that I'm ready to release over the next couple months, and also huge projects that uh, I'm uh, working on within the next couple years nice. to, to develop. Playing the long game, 3D chess. Absolutely, man. Nice. Well, dude, I really appreciate you coming on and us being able to actually, hopefully, the third time is a charm on this podcast. So, hope you guys all enjoyed it. Mind, body, spirit, love, healing, truth. We out.